0: Before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all to check out sfbsociety.com. SFB Society is my smart, funny, and black community. It's an app that I created for you to be your whole black self. It's a safe space where we give you original content, hilarious conversation, and upliftment, encouragement, and information. And the idea is we want people to be able to come into this space and fight the power at the same time that they're fighting for their joy. I made this space for us. It's membership only. We have two tiers, bachelor's and master's level. You get a free week trial membership to see if it's something that you like. And if you don't like it, you get your refund and you keep it moving and go back to Instagram, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or stick around with us, make it your home, use it along with your other social media. Either way, we want SFB Society to be a safe space for you. So again, check out Sfp Society.com for your vibes, your jokes, and your facts. Oh, and by the way, It's my birthday, in honor of my birthday. Buy somebody some Smart, Funny, and Black gear. That's the best gift you can get me. A Smart, Funny, and Black shirt or mask or pin or sweatshirt so somebody else can rep the dopeness. Go to sfbbookstore.com and give them the gift of Smart, Funny, and Black as a gift to me on my birthday. Now let's get into it. Small doses, self help from the head. Small doses, we're talking that shit. Small doses, and keeping it real. Small doses, me and Miss Fields. It's so funky. <laughs> so funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses, y'all. Today we got Miss Tiffany D. Cross in the <laughs> building, and we are going to be talking about voting. I know you just you just cringed. Like I do not want to sit here. And listen to them talk about voting and some of y'all cringed for different reasons. You cringed because you're like I don't care about the political process. That doesn't matter. You cringed because you're like, "Ugh, that we definitely better vote or else this man is going to still be in this office." Or you cringed because you thought about the fact that you have to figure out where you have to vote or if you've even, you know, gotten your voter registration done. Whatever the case, I don't want this to be a boring conversation, which is why we're having it with Tiffany D. Cross. Now, Tiffany, as you can see from the face she just made, is not boring because she already made this face. Mm. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, Tiffany's book, Say It Louder, Black Voters, White Narratives and Saving Our Democracy, is coming out when, Ms.
1: Cross? July 7th, but it's available for pre-sale now, but it's coming out July 7th. What's that last part again? It's what? Available for it's what? It's available for presale right now. Right, right now. now. Yes. At the local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. All the places books are sold, you can get it.
0: Now... I want to say if you can order her book, if you can pre sale order her book from a local bookstore, basically from anywhere but Amazon, it will be most <laughs> helpful and effective <laughs> for her. One, because she'll get more money, and two, because it counts more on the bestseller list. Now, the bestseller list is a racket. However, it does count more. So,
1: and there are bad labor practices at Amazon, too. So, <laughs>
0: <if> there's that. <laughs> So yeah. if you can try and do that, um, I know Mark Lamont Hill has been on the show, his store, uncle Bobby's, you can order from yeah. them and Bailey. it will count. Yes. Yeah. It will count to, because not all stores count towards the New York times bestseller list. So that's the other thing that you learn. What are the black bookstores that count towards the New York times that's bestseller right. list? It's a whole, so we got to well, do a side effects yeah. of writing a book one day. And I need to tell it, you some of those too.
1: Can I say when Small Doses was coming out, I watched your Insta story. I had to hurry up. There's no way to record an Insta story. I watched this so many times because you were talking about how to get your book on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I'm like, how can I record this? So I took the audio and recorded it like old school. I used to have the dub stuff. You know I had it in an
0: IGTV video.
1: Really? Okay. I need to go back and look at it. Cause I was like, damn, she's giving all the secrets. And I was like, this is so, it was super helpful. And you were like, thank they you. told me. Yeah. I, I loved it. First of all, your Insta stories are a whole TV series, but that <laughs> one was especially for me at the time. I was like, I need to listen to this 80 times. So thank you for that. Thank you. No, I just wanted to spread the
0: knowledge because no one had spread the knowledge to me. Right. Well, I had you to learn it. all this the hard way. So I was like, I learned so you don't have to. <laughs> um, we thank you. <laughs> so, you know, I had put up a video of you the other day. Just, you know, I oh, I love a good read. I love a good <laughs> read. <laughs> and you had provided all of us a read. I'm trying to remember sp- what you were talking about. Um, there, There have been a few. The most recent... It had to be about, it was about Trump talking about Joanne, wasn't it? Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, that gem. (laughs) Ah, yes. I
1: recall. Yeah. So this asshole, we can curse on on here, right? You can say whatever you want to say. Because I love a platform where I can say fuck if I want to, you know? It's one of my favorite words. It punctuates yes. the point. So yes, this dumb fuck had decided to target Joy Reid for for some reason um, because she's a, a critical reporter and is critical of this administration as our most seen thinking people. But I think one thing that we can all understand is, you know being people you enjoy have huge platforms and people, um, can attack you all the time. And I think yes. people, <laughs> you don't know anything about that. I'm sure that no, it's like, people forget that you're a human being here, you know, that you're a person, a woman with feelings. And so to have, even though it's not even prestigious anymore, cause Trump attacks everybody. So it's like, Oh, the president of the United States attacked me. No big deal. But I mean, Joy had to get security after that. Um, There are these wild, racist-ass people who take this president's words literally. um, And people, you know, say crazy things and threaten your life. And I don't have the platforms that you guys have, but I certainly, my morning is started out with hundreds of emails, comments on Twitter, to my fan page, everything of people attacking me. And so when I see this white man, who is the beneficiary of all this violent white rule of the country, attack this black woman, who had to climb her way um, to even have a show on this network and all the shit that goes along with that, it's just enraging, you know, um, it is really enraging. So joy, unfortunately was not able to react. Right. Um, and so as a free black woman who does not report <laughs> to a white person, I'm like, you know what, sis, don't worry about it. Let me, let me get I this. I got one. you.
0: <laughs> I got you. And let yes. me tell you, I was just telling a story I was being interviewed earlier and I was talking about how when I was three, I told my mom that our teacher had called us stupid in our preschool class. And my mom came up to the school and in front of the whole class, got that teacher together. And that, you know, someone fighting for you yeah, and like like seeing you, hearing you and fighting on your behalf is such a incredible feeling. I mean, yeah. that's... That's how this man even got in office is because he made people who felt unseen, even though they weren't unseen, but they felt unseen. He preyed on their feeling unseen and made it like, I'm going to fight for you. And then that's how he got elected. Um Because yeah. he, he preyed on that feeling that we all want to be protected and feel safe. Yeah. And, you know, before we even get into things, I would love for you to tell folks who don't know, um, you know, where you, where your voice is heard outside of this podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, the work that you've been doing and a little background on how you got to this space, how you got to this space of being an expert on voting yeah. and
1: democracy. Well, first, thank you for having me and, and for your platform. And, you know, I'm cheering you on and everything you do. Um, Thanks, I'm such a, a fan and I felt so out of loop because I discovered you, um, on insecure and. Little did I know, you already had this huge following before you even came to the show. I'm like, where have I been? Why ain't nobody told me about Amanda Seals yet? My TV namesake, you know? Um, so I'm so happy to, to to share this space with you. Um, so I'll, I'll make my story quick. I've been working in um, news media and politics for about 20 years. Feel free to gasp here. Like, 20 years? No way. But you're like 15. Anyway, yes. Uh, it's been a few decades. 20 years. <laughs> You know, we Black women age differently. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> so I started out at CNN. Um, I did a little bit of print work. I was the D.C. Bureau Chief for um, BET Networks, which worked with Black folks. I mean, you know. Uh, it's a that comes with its own talent. It's a journey.
0: We're new to this. It's- I just keep trying to... We're new to this. Yes. Yeah. We're still new to this. And so we have to give a certain level of grace. Yes. But I put
1: in my time and I was happy to put in my time there because it it is a different environment with a different set of challenges, but it was a great experience. And this was during the Obama administration. So to be able to cover, um, you know, the first black president was amazing to do it for a black owned network. And the work that we did was, you know, I'm very proud of it. Um, But what I noticed, and I I think this is relevant to what you were saying about, oh my God, they're talking about voting, that shit is boring, I don't want to hear that. I understand why Black people feel that way because in all my years in media, every conversation centers white people. It is always a political conversation in media talking about white people's history, white people's opinions, white people's finances, labor stats that overly impact white people. And that doesn't happen with us. And so it can create this image that well, my vote and my voice don't matter, and so in saying that, I wanted to found a platform um, that you know people who could have a passionate discussion about who y'all think Becky with the good hair is, um, and could also talk about barbecue Becky acting a fucking fool on black people at the park, you know, um, and then also talk about you know uh, issues of discrimination and white supremacy and policy coming out of the Hill, and also talk about a white paper from the Urban League or the Joint Center for Political Economic Studies. Much like the conversations you and I have had, and much like conversations yeah. a lot of our friends have had, we can have this intersection of pop culture, politics, and policy that entertains us, enrages us, and informs us. So I tried to create something like that, the Beat DC. And I'll tell you, Amanda, as I'm sure you know, trying to finance some shit when it's like a bunch of white people had already done this. They founded these news platforms, and they didn't even have a concept. They, I mean, they all they had was a concept. All they had was an idea. And they walked in and the other white people funding them was like, yeah, I like what you're talking about. This black woman who created this platform that had tens of thousands of readers across the country. And I walk in and they're like, "Hmm, say more. You know, we just don't know if people of color are interested in what you're writing about. You yeah, know, So I unfortunately ran out of funding for that and I was very frustrated and I said, you know what, I need to sit still and write a book. And I had done years of research for this book and so that's when I started writing. But during that time I went from the control room to the green room and started doing on-air political analysis, um, which again punctuated so much about what's wrong with our media landscape and that directly impacts and influences our political landscape as well, particularly for black people.
0: Can I just ask you... When you lost the funding, how did you gain the, the rigor um, and even just the, 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 the personal, like in, the, the yeah. emotional funding <laughs> to write a book?
1: Yeah. Because
0: that's such a frustrating, you know, like deflating time that writing a book requires all of you. Yes, Um,
1: yes, as you know, as you know, (laughs) you know, some people outrage is uh, defeating and depleting, you know, it's like, all right, they won. For me, it drove me. Um, You know, we say black girl magic a lot. And I always have to tell people like, it ain't really no black girl magic. That's just a lifetime of people telling you, you got to be twice as good to be considered. And so you have to become too big for them to ignore. And so at that point, when Tons of white people kept telling me, we can't fund you. I just thought, well, I'm going to become a voice that you will regret. Like, I'm going to make you rue the day that you let me walk out of your you office. You better rue and the so- day. <laughs>
0: exactly. You better rue the I day. I
1: just, ooh, I have, like, dreams of a shade I'm going to throw and this <laughs> shit goes big. You know, like, I envisioned when I was writing, I was pecking those keys so hard, you know? <laughs> but it was also at a time where I was watching things every day that did not center us. And I was like... What the fuck? Like, everybody on TV is talking about something that's not relevant to us, you know? Donald Trump tweets something, and the entire uh, landscape chases this tweet. You know, the day that he sent the tweet about, what was it? Um, uh, James Comey. When he said that, he he tried to insinuate that there were tapes. that He had tapes of a conversation he had with former FBI director James Comey. The news landscape went crazy. They're running around chasing this shit. Are there tapes? What happened? That same day, Jeff Sessions was still the attorney general. And just like that, he bought back mandatory minimums. He told every local DA, I want y'all prosecuting these motherfuckers to the full extent of the law. And where the fuck was the breaking news banner on that? Because that shit actually impacts people who look like me in a disproportionate way. But while the white chattering class was running around chasing this dumbass's suite this huge policy shift happened that was going to negatively impact black people and not a peep out of it, but for Joy Reid's show on MSNBC Saturday morning, days later. But it's like, you all don't even consider us. And so in writing the book, I was just thinking of all the things that happen on a daily basis that focus exclusively on white people. And I just thought we deserve a voice like there has to be a, a book out there, a platform out there, a space out there for people. And I put you in this category for people who are um, we are all our, authentic, our, our authentic selves. We don't code switch, cause your kids trying to sound like me. So what I'm going around here trying to sound like you for. I want to write a book for those people. For people who, you know, they might listen to John Meach, I'm sure he's interesting. They might watch Joe Scarborough, that's interesting. But they don't talk like us, they don't talk for us, they don't understand us. Yeah. They are with culture when it's convenient to be a witness. They're not part of it. So where are the voices that center our issues? And I wanted to create that for people and Look, I know it's a business, but honestly, a man, if it were up to me, I would give everybody a free copy of this book. Like, just read this shit, please, and get involved, because I understand why people are like, politics ain't for me. Voting ain't for me. If you go your whole life and nothing's really changed, I can see how you can have the misconception that your vote doesn't matter, but it does, and I think it's a hard thing to try to convince people you know, I, I live in a hood that's uh, gen- going through gentrification, like a lot of black people. So I have, I'm surrounded by public housing, but I also live next to like $8 million condos to people who live out of hotels. There's a comfort inn next to me. Like it's, you know, a, a, an interesting neighborhood. So sometimes I talk when the people sitting out on the corner at the public housing units and the white people walk past them, like their furniture and clutch their shit a little tighter. And I always, if there's a white person around, I'm obnoxious about it. I'm like, hey, how you doing, brother? <laughs> I want them to know. Speak to your neighbor. This is your community. But we'll chop it up sometime. And I really get from them. It's like, wait a second, you asking me to believe in a system that imprisoned my brother, that keeps me in this public housing, that keeps my, my family in dilapidated community, that keeps my kids in some dilapidated schools. And now you want me to believe in this very system that created this environment for me. And you're telling me that system is the only way to change shit. Like, I completely understand why people might feel that way. And it's a wonderful activist, you know, Latasha Brown, um, who she has the mission of driving that. And, you know, she's kind of taught all of us to, to tell these people I'm not asking you to believe in the system. I'm asking you to believe in you, brother. Believe yes. in you. Create the America you want to see. You know why? Because you built this bitch through violent rule and backbreaking labor, you built this country. How dare anybody tell you that this democracy is going to take shape without your input. You know what I'm saying? We got to like, yeah. We got to make sure our brethren know that. Cause I don't think that they realize that you have to give them a sense of agency, create the society that you want to see. And if they don't have that because you have, you know, TV shows that's going to every white diner in Iowa and every mayonnaise center in New Hampshire, Cause we're so concerned about what they have I'm sorry, to say. Sorry, did you just say mayonnaise center? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they I literally just will do like flag that. It's ridiculous. Like they'll do a, a segment on a mayonnaise carving in the the shape of one of the candidates, and I'm like, why don't you take your ass to a golden corral in Birmingham, Alabama? And talk to those voters at the heartland. Where the fuck is their story? Or go to a a school basketball game in in the SWATs in the Southwest Atlanta and talk to those parents. Because I think those are voters from the heartland. Go to a wing stop in East Cleveland, Ohio, and talk to them. Those are voters from the heartland. Stop centering everybody else. We shape this piece, not them. And you don't see enough of that. So... Long answer to say, that's how I got the outrage to write the book and to tell stories like that. So Black people won't think, it's not just you. You ain't crazy. They crazy. And they, either by evolution or by force, our issues will be centered. I just had a good idea while you were talking. So, Oh, give it to me. That. I'm so down for all your ideas. I'm so down. Well, I have a character named Cousin um, Stacy.
0: <laughs> and... Cousin says he's from Miami and she wears a purple wig and she got a go-to and she was a jet. I like her the week, By the way, I love it and um. So, in my new SFB society, uh, I have different characters that have different shows. And when I say shows, it's just, it's little segments or whatever. But Cousin Ceci, I was like trying to figure out like what I want to do with Cousin Ceci because I think that people would automatically think that because she talked the way she do and she looked the way she do, that she going to mm-hmm. be on some bullshit. Like she going to do like how to strip or some shit. And she's like, I'm not mm-hmm. a stripper, like stop. But I had decided that what I do want her to do is I want her to do a segment called Make It Make Sense. And it would be her talking to folks that actually know about like how to explain like what's going on in this political climate, what's going on with the law, etc., and have them make it make sense. Because for all of us, we be like, "What is this? I don't understand. <laughs> why? What? Like you know it's wrong, but you don't like know exactly why it's wrong." Right. And so I just in this moment was like, "Oh, I need to do the first make it make sense with Tiffany D. Cross because I know
1: cousin sassy.
0: You do, and
1: like I my, got my a cousin sassy. You do. You
0: have a cousin sassy. You got a cousin sassy." <laughs> (laughs) So, you know, because I think everybody for the most part right now, if you got even if you if you even just peeking your neck out just a little bit from under a rock, you hearing about voting, you hearing about Biden, you hearing about, you know, November and all this, and you just like, so why, like like why should I vote? You hearing about Puff, Puffy, Puff Daddy, you know, Mm -hmm. and so it's like, like I feel like I wanna have cousin Sassy do something with you where she's like, can you explain to me why everybody upset? about what first of all can you explain to me what Puffy said and why everybody upset about it because I heard it and I had my own thoughts but I want mm. to hear your thoughts because you're an expert. So I'm we're gonna do that on another
1: day. Sign me up because I want to talk to cousin I know cousin sassy in another life I was kind of cousin sassy myself. Well you know? this is the
0: thing all <laughs> of us have at least 10% chicken head. This oh, is a yeah. fact. All I might
1: us. be at twenty percent. I don't know. You but yeah, are. at least you probably basic are. ten 10% is the percent.
0: most minimum. If <laughs> yes. you have ever walked down the road and heard loud music from a vehicle and turned around, you got at least. Oh, oh for
1: sure. And sometimes I in future- a vehicle with the loud You're- music.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you the one who well, can I put some loud music heard. on? Exactly. Pretty in- much.
1: Pretty much. <laughs>
0: So tell us, like, when it comes to the piece that we wrote for Washington Post, um, which included yourself, me, Angela Rye.
1: Latasha Brown, LaTosha
0: Alicia, Alicia Garza, Garza
1: Sunny Austin, um, Sunny Hostin, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, and Brittany Packnett. That's seven. That's all of us.
0: So seven of us. Um, the the basis of the piece was making demands for. Mm-hmm. The black, Like we need these things to happen and we mentioned them. um Oh no, I was talking offline. So we said that we need Joe Biden to choose a black woman running mate. We need Joe Biden to choose a black woman Supreme Court nominee. And we need to have a thorough black agenda in order yeah. to secure the black vote. Now we have yeah. a lot of people who heard Puff Daddy's statements about holding the vote, who have read our article, and they look at it as, you're telling Black people not to vote, and if we don't vote, then that means we're inevitably going to be subjected to four more years of this orange tyrant. But I wanted to get just a comprehensive overview from you on, one, whether you agree or disagree with that sentiment. Two, you know, we all put our points of view into the paper, but I mean, into the article, the op-ed. But I would just like to hear, like, in your words... Yeah. Well, why I you felt th- that op-ed was necessary.
1: For sure. And I just want to say, uh, you know, it's hard writing with people, as, as you know. And I was so... I loved your writing. I love your style of writing. Um, when I was reading... Because this is authentically our voice. this is not somebody who went off and wrote a piece and then we all signed off on it. Like, no, no we went through a grueling process. A grueling <laughs> process. <laughs> That's a long time to pull together. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, what you wrote, I feel like that itself could just live on its own. Um, but mm-hmm. all our words got shaped and, you know, mm-hmm. formed and morphed and melted into this one piece, which I was very proud to be a part of and proud to share the byline with you. Um, but I think, you know, I'm really disappointed, to be honest with you, at the reaction that, I, I, that I've gotten on my end anyway from um, some people because... You know, I think, why shouldn't we make demands? You know, like, why would we not, when we sit at the epicenter of political power as Black women, why would we not make demands? And it's just heartbreaking that so many people feel like, don't upset the white folks, don't upset Mr. Charlie, because we still trying to get him to give us our 40 acres and a mule. And it's like, no, it's a new day, fuck that, you know? We have built this country. We have not only shaped this democracy, but we saved this democracy. And I just feel like it's disappointing that Black people have it so ingrained in their mind that we are not in a position to ask for anything, particularly when you see other constituencies making no apologies for the ass that they have. So in no way are we encouraging people not to vote. That's just asinine to even think something like that. And I would encourage people to not only watch the video we did, but actually read the op-ed because there was, you know, solid info. This was not a a case of, you know, super fancy Negroes in a high tax bracket. Like, let me testify. This one right here, I ain't got no income. I ain't got no health insurance. My voice is part. I hate when people say that. Like y'all, sitting on those platforms and y'all don't know uh what black people do and i'm like what bank accounts you you looking at because i am the working class last i Thank checked you. and i have a voice to contribute to this and i'm i'm doing this shit for all of us this was not the super group of negroes we lived in as we climb, and so you think about you know harriet tubman ain't waste her time arguing with people like no you a slave So I can't always (laughs) convince people like you still a slave to this system. Like we're trying to pull the people we can along. And I hope that everybody comes along with us. But it is our time to make these demands. And as long as we are complacent with the status quo, that is where we'll stay. What we're saying is when black women organize, we don't just organize ourselves. We organize a community. Those church mothers, they don't just go register to vote. They register other people to vote. People ain't never stepped foot in a church. Just black people who are fed the fuck up. They are driving people to the polls. And you have, like, Latasha. Like, she is on ground in different constituency groups literally putting her body on the line to make sure people vote. What we're saying to Joe Biden is don't make our jobs that much harder. We already have to convince people to participate in this process. If you come out here with some bullshit-ass ticket with Amy Klobuchar, who does nothing to excite any fucking body, I'm offended at the conversation itself that we've been talking about this chick that much, then... Now we gotta go out and like damn near beg motherfuckers to vote, you know? And it's like we're already doing that. We help us help you. We are trying to uplift your campaign after we gifted you this nomination. Exactly. Because real talk, you didn't do a lot to earn it. Yes, he was the vice president to Barack Obama, yeah. and great. Wow. He ain't Joe Obama. You know, like this is not the man who can turn out it would be a mistake for them to think that they have black voters on lock. So that was really our entire point um, is give us something solid. Put some meat on this bone and help us help you. And why not? Cuz black women saved you, black women elevated your campaign, black women gifted you this nomination. Black men too cuz black men voted a lot um, in the, the primaries. And we we want something we want to see something happen. Now, In terms of the ask, the Black agenda was put together by Alicia Garza. This, again, she talked, it was the largest poll in recent history of Black people. She talked to over 30,000 people. Um, Again, this was something grassroots. She talked to people, you know, who work on Wall Street in New York. She talked to people who live in the projects in the Bronx. She talked to people who in the Mississippi Delta. She talked to people who were barely educated in the corridor of shame of South Carolina. This encompasses the full Black experience and how, we can have some level of equality. The Supreme Court justice, we want a black woman Supreme Court justice, but what people I think fail to understand is um, it's not just the White House. The House and the Senate are also up for grabs. So this is where your your local representation comes into play. So if Joe Biden does get the presidency, but the Republicans have the House and the Senate. Well, that black Supreme Court justice ain't going to mean shit because the Republicans can just block it. They can just refuse to vote on it like they did with yep. Obama. So- yeah, we want to ask for that and a black woman vice president ask for all the things and see where you meet us. There's nothing wrong with that. Ask for everything and see where you can come and make it happen because the idea of the promise of a black supreme court nominee does not guarantee us a supreme court justice. And so we and a black nominee of vice presidential running mate means nothing if that woman is not willing to adopt a comprehensive black agenda. We've had Centuries, over a century of uh, over two centuries of a white man vice president, all white men Supreme Court justices, and definitely prioritization of white agenda. Why can't we, at this point in the changing dem- demographics of this country, have a black woman represented in these different spaces where she's never been represented? And I, I can't tell you, I don't know how you've been dealing with the criticism, Amanda, but. I mean, some of it has hurt me because that shit is coming from people who look like us. It's coming from older black Americans, younger black Americans. And it's like, I can deal with trolls and races and MAGA idiots like those people don't even register. When
0: When it comes comes from my own
1: people and I'm doing it for the greater good and it comes from my own people dismissing and saying how absurd we are and how ridiculous. It just hurts because I'm like, damn, how do white man convince you that you're not worth asking for anything? And then instead of attacking them, they attack us.
0: That's what people don't understand. It's like so often the, the frustration that you feel when that's coming at you is not in that they're coming at you. It's like, what happened that made you feel like you could like you needed to come at me? Like right. what is the brainwashing? What is the the lack of education, um, resources that, you know, like that that got you twisted into thinking that you're making sense of what you're saying when you're right, what I'm saying is for you. It's for exactly. You. exactly. You know? so, I mean, I, I actually, I haven't gotten a lot of heat from this. Um Good. I mean, I, I, I get, you know, I'm, I'm still on the reel right now. So therefore, as long as these episodes are airing, I'm getting heat about
1: all type of bullshit, but yeah, but even on The Real, your voice is so, because I, I mean, the things that you say on The Real are so relevant to us. And I think um, with respect to all the panelists, so I think it's a great show. But I do think that you add the necessary meat to some of these conversations. Um, and I just appreciate your voice in that capacity. I think everybody plays their, their role. But I think you come at it from a place of substance in a way that speaks to people like me. Um, just like I'm sure the other people speak to to their constituency, so I I always try to reshare the the clips that that you post because not everybody's waking up reading the the Washington Post op-ed pages, you know. And so it's like if the only not. bit of substance you get. Right, right. So if the if the only bit of substance you get might be from an Amanda Seal segment on the real. Then that's okay. I at <laughs> least at least we have a voice there, and you're getting something, you know. So honestly, I amidst all the hate. <laughs> I want to say, I
0: appreciate your voice. I want yes, I, 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 I blocked the
1: reel. You did what with the
0: I blocked the reel today. Not because of them. Yeah. Not because of the show, but because it was more like symbolic of just be, like creating a barrier between the amount of hatred that is existing on that page and. I know it's, it was, It trust me, it was very performative because it's like, I mean, if these people want to get at you, like they can get at you. But for yeah. me, it was more, it was just like building this like invisible wall against this place that is supposed to be a source of fun and a source of information and a source of women lifting each other up and has now become a cesspool of, you know, people who, like I saw somebody today say, um. She was crying about Ahmad. Ar- sure, people do- people get killed, but she was crying about Ahmad Arbrey as if she knew him. And I just I don't know what happened in somebody's life that made them so like that. That to me is I, I can't I can't get my my I can't get my mind to a place where someone would say that about what they saw. In my head, yeah. you yeah. know, and it, and it's like it triggers a certain empathy in me of just like, damn, like, who hurt you? Like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but it's a community. Yes. But at the same token, it's like as black people, like we don't even have the energy to have all the empathy for the white people who are just coming from places of hatred because.
1: Yeah.
0: Our community is is dealing with all of that, plus the PTSD of of being told on a regular basis that our feelings do not matter. Yeah. And that's so many people don't feel like voting because you're told on a regular basis that your feelings don't matter, you don't matter, nothing's going to happen, so why bother? So yeah. I guess, you know, I'm I I know what you feel about like when we're getting it from our own people it just feels like how do you how do you process that? I end up processing it as like when I, when I get over my shit, I end up processing mm-hmm. it as this is why we have to work.
1: Yeah. You know well, like it's yeah. One thing I noticed about you that you do engage with your fan base and like you read the comments and react to them and I you know I don't have the incoming that you have. Um the 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 little bit that I do have sometimes I have to cut it off and like not even acknowledge. I mean it is piercing sometimes. Like no, so again, I'm, not the white people. It's like the people who look like us. I'm like, I might have somebody to, to help you out, though. We can talk offline. Like, okay, I thought it was cousin Sassy, but this somebody different. Okay. No, I
0: have, <laughs> okay. I have, I have. You know, it's like we. You need moderators. You need people that can be like, oh, nope, nope, yeah. nope, and removing that from your space because it's not helpful. Yeah, it's unconstructive. Like there right. is constructive criticism that can be provided, but so often, definitely. The the argument ends up being done in a way of degrading you. How dare Mm -hmm. you say that? How dare y'all do that article? Who do you think you are?
1: You don't speak for me. Y'all don't speak for me. (laughs) It's like, damn, since I don't even know you. Well, you you know, I'm white, so
0: I don't speak for (laughs) nobody. My my blackness is completely invalid. It's ridiculous. You know, it's like, you don't, you don't, what what does she know about being black? You know, and and it's like, do people really say that to you?
1: What? That's so ridiculous. That's so that's ridiculous. That's the shit that
0: that that's one of my triggers.
1: Oh. That's one of my I triggers. Mean- and people
0: and people know that so they go for it. What does she know about being black? How dare she She's mixed. I'm um, I have two black parents. Um Yeah. She's mixed. Um Mom, are you black? <laughs> <laughs> you heard <her? laughs> Mom, is my father black? black. So, you know, like that, but it's like this feeling of there's always this, not always, that's not fair, but there's often this like attempt to undermine my voice, but I, I'm not saying just me, black women, I don't understand why there is such a dedication to undermining our voice when we speak up. And whether that's speaking up in this, in this space of voting or even speaking up in a relationship, like, I don't know what it is, but for you in this space of speaking on voting, where have you gotten support from?
1: So I, I want to say first our group chat. I mean, I have to say, uh, (laughs) yes. And I feel it's such a safe space. um, And I feel so supported by the women in that room. Even you from, you know, talking to me about the book and, you know, best ways to get it out there. Angela, I was y'all, Angela Rye. So I do write a little bit about Angela in the book. People, uh, for people who think like, oh, you know, she does all that on TV. I'm like, let me just tell you, I've known Angela for a long time, long before she was ever on TV. Who you see on TV is the same person she has always been. And so with Angela, she, I feel like her support, nothing that anybody ever does for me will be good enough in the eyes of Angela. If I tell Fair. her, hey, I'm doing this thing and they're gonna pay me $10 million, her immediate Girl, song, 10 no. million. No. If they give, if they, they, they if they, they offer you, you 10 <laughs> If they you, offer you 10, you worth 20, No, no, You know, you know. I mean, Listen. she has never once said, that is great. Like, that, that's perfect. She's <laughs> always like, what? No, they need to at least be doing this for you. I'm like, okay, I don't Let know. me tell Angela, you. Do you want to talk to the people? I don't know what to tell Angela you. Angela
0: called me two years ago and was like, um, so I heard you've been charging this for your speaking engagements. <laughs> and can you please raise your your, your number? Yes. Because you're fucking yes. up the money. Yes. And I was like, what am I? She was like, you fucking up the money. Because by you charging so low, first of all, you deserve more. And all of us do. So when you charge that number, everybody got to go down. So you fucking up the money. And I was like,
1: I got that same. Yeah. I got that same talk. I got that (laughs) same talk. Yeah. Because I I I was going off a number that she told me once. she was like, bitch, that's before you were on air. Now you need to up that money. Listen, but you know what?
0: (laughs) I didn't think I was worth that much.
1: Same. Same. I was afraid and her telling to me ask. that was
0: the was the battery in the back yep. to be like
1: I deserve that. <laughs> exactly. And they didn't even argue. Yeah. They were like, Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think her sharing what she charges and sharing her platform or sharing That's, what she's gone through. It's such a, a space. Um, mama telling you to keep down. Or mama yeah, my mom is flex. telling me something like I'm not in the your audio, like is- I'm not in the middle of an interview.
0: <laughs> mom, what are you saying to me? Oh, she's telling me my aunt landed. Thank you.
1: Ah, I didn't need to I'm know I'm glad aunt that. landed. <laughs> That's how you know and, this is real. And by the it way, this happens. is how that
0: message was being relayed. <laughs> <laughs> Quarantine.
1: Auntie landed. That's all we need to know. So good. Auntie here. Okay.
0: We're so back, Angela, Angela
1: Angela is uh, definitely a, a big supporter. But other black women in this space who I don't know, some I've met, but other people who have reached out through me, through my agent, who are just like, sis, how can we help you? How can we support you? How can we uplift you? Um, which is great because I ran a platform that was all about uplifting other people. And I never thought that I was worth being uplifted. I was like, this Damn. is my end because I can write about other people. Oh, it's been, It has been a journey. It has been a journey. I mean, I bought into... Working at CNN, I wasn't on the cool white people invite list and the bar crawls and the embassy parties, you know. And so I kind of came up in this space of, well, that life is meant for other people. And even when Angela started doing, like, TV commentary, I thought that's great for her because, like, she's meant to do that stuff. So I never saw myself as somebody who would get out front. And so that, that is the good thing about succeeding and failing in the public eye. It's like, you know what? I fail, but I'm still here. And what the fuck are y'all doing? You know? Like, I am still out here working, grinding, and talking to other people because you feel like other people know so much more. And talking to these people I'm on set with, and I'm like, you ain't that smart. Like, why ain't are that, you ex- some expert? You know? Like, You're what like, you just oh. said makes no sense at all. Like, you sound dumb as fuck. People have said on set before, like, Tiffany, you're saying these voters are racist, but they voted for Obama, then they voted for Trump. I'm like, this shit is almost too dumb for me to even acknowledge or dignify <laughs> with the response. And you are on this bitch like I'm the deacon of the D.C. press corps, and I get to say, and you're getting paid to be in this bitch. I'm t- getting paid the lie, and I'm up here speaking all this truth for free, and I'm sitting here with you having to explain all of this shit to you. I'd rather be talking to my people, to be honest, than to sit here and make some white people feel so comfortable and their dumbness about what the fuck racism is. So I say all that to say, that unfortunately, you know, there are people who work in networks who are overwhelmingly um, white, disproportionately white and male, and they find people to be like the godfather and support and bring up. Um, I've been blessed with all the black women who are in this space to wrap their arms around me, to shepherd me, to guide me, to promote me. Um, Joy Reid is like my publicist. I mean, yes. she puts her life her professional life on the line for me so many times. Um, and so, That's yeah, I, I'm pleased to say, and it breaks my heart when I hear people say like, I just haven't been supported by black women. I'm like, really? That is so not my my whole life. I felt like black women have always found me and supported me. Or there are occasionally women who will say to me, which this is always heartbreaking too, because I'm like, damn, since who hurt you? But they'll say, you know, Tiffany, I like you. And I don't really do women, but I like you. I know. Ooh. You don't do women, I don't do you then. Mm. Because if that's how you feel, mm. I just don't know where your sense of sisterhood is. If you're coming yeah. at me with, I already don't like women, but I'm making an exception for you, we never going to be here, you know, ever, ever. Mm. And men, you know, I like men. Obviously, men are like great fun things to have in my life. But there is just nothing like... uh conversation with a woman who gets my ass, connects with me, checks my ass when I need to be, gets me centered, gets me right. Men have come and go. But those women still in my life and will always be in my life. So I am grateful for Black women who supported me because I know more. 99% of the Black women in my life have been nothing but a source of joy. And I count you among those people because in these COVID times, in that group COVID chat times. gets a sister through. <laughs> I mean,
0: the transcripts <laughs> from that need to be like oh my God. printed out, archived, published. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wait, might kill us if we publish some of that. Uh, stuff. Yes. but they yes. sound good. It's posthumous, it's so good. A
0: posthumous publishing, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A posthumous publishing. They need to find it under exactly. somebody's mattress. <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, they need to Emily Dickinson that shit. Like what? <laughs> this is what they were saying.
1: <laughs> exactly. but I have a question for you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I'm curious because you're in entertainment and I know mm-hmm. you call yourself a comic, not an actress, even though, can you be both? I think. but I maybe can, but, I,
0: but it's okay. important. There's a reason why I put the comedian first.
1: Okay. One, I'm curious what that reason is. And two, in the space, because I spent a lot of time in LA, in a space that I don't always feel values what's happening socially or politically, and I feel like you definitely value that space. Mm-hmm. How do you um coexist in these two industries? Cause I feel like you have a voice culturally and socially and politically, but you also have um a very entertainment driven brand and you somehow brilliantly married those two.
0: Thanks. Um I think well that ends up being a part of the answer for why I put comic before actress. So for me being a comedian has a really like much bigger role than just telling jokes. Um, Whereas for me being an actress, and this is just for me, because for others, Mm -hmm. I don't speak to their, where they were acting as position for them. But for me being an actress, like I always felt kind of limited in what I could do as an actress socially um you know like you know you can play certain roles and being able to tell certain stories of course does bring us about a certain level of consciousness and social change etc but I always hated the fact that I would have to jump through so many holes to get the opportunity to even play those roles or Mm. even get those stories told and the fact that I'm I would have to basically get approval from a white industry to be able to tell black stories always made acting this kind of like fringe kind of thing for me once I really came to the realization of that. As a comic, I am the writer of my own narrative. And that to me feels so much more aligned with my radicalism, with my academic background, and with my Black intellectualism, and with my just connection to those who came before me, the Nikki Giovannis and the James Broadmans and the, the Malcolm Xs. And, 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 and and the the Ida B. is and the Sojourner Troops. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, because it's a continuation of knowing that we have to tell our own stories if we want them told right. So yeah. as a comic, putting that in the beginning, putting that as the thing that brings me into your consciousness, um, that to me speaks more be, to what I, I, I identify myself as. Also, mm. actors have a whole different kind of crazy than comics do. So uh, um, actresses just we're all performers. We're all brilliant and we're all crazy, but actresses be a, a different kind of crazy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and comedians, ours is, is just a different brand. And in the, in the question you asked about living those, between those two worlds, um, honestly, as I've been, cause I've been having interviews lately where everyone's been asking me to like, tell us how you got here. Um, I've weirdly had the two worlds aligning for like a really long time by nature of like, even when I was a young performer, I still came from a household that cared so much about, you know, making sure that your studies are on point and, you know, bringing um, history to the fore. And, you know, my mother and I have been telling each other, beware the Ides of March every March 15th for, I mean, damn near all my whole life. Like, so like literature and, and history and being in touch with my Blackness has always been like a constant at the same time that I was performing. And I was also though, like I was on the first black sitcom on Nickelodeon, you know, Uh like I was, my first job was dancing at Disney. And and that was the first time that I really experienced racism. And the white kids were like, you only got this because you're black. They Uh They needed a black kid. So that's why they picked you, you know? And so my consciousness and awareness of that has always been in the spaces that I've been in as an, as an entertainer. And then when I got to SUNY Purchase um, and I started doing spoken word and Purchase was a dope place to be because it was an art school, but it was close enough to be a commuter school to New York. So I just had a lot of black voices in that space that considered their entertainment to be very connected to their blackness and to their social awareness. And people were always, you know, speaking to different, issues and, you know, how can we be conscious and how can we be connected to our African ancestry, et cetera. So the straddling of those two worlds is more about like my work comes from a place that I always want to be creatively serving myself and socially serving the people.
1: Oh, I love that. Creatively serving myself and socially serving the people. I really, I love that. In
0: the existence of, but, but in the last year, I realized that I cannot do that the way I need to with Hollywood. So I've had to really, and, and this, this quarantine, this social distancing has actually really given me a lot of time and space to explore just new ways that I want to exist as a creative and as a person who does care about the social landscape and wanting to be more of a vessel for folks that are doing the work that you do, um, in my visibility. Right. Like I don't do the work that you do. That's why you're here because Mm -hmm. you are doing a specific work and you have been doing that work in a way that is so incredibly necessary. But at the end of the day, like a lot of times there needs to be a bridge between that work and the people who, you know, respond to entertainment and pop culture and they need to be edutained.
1: Yeah. So that's where I would like to be more of a vessel. You know, and it's it's traditional in our community. I think. I mean, yes. as you look at the Paul Robersons of our world, Harry Belafonte considered his mission, Sydney Poitier, yes. Cicely Tyson, That's all these I people who were integrated, want- Sammy Davis Jr. Even you know people who were yeah yeah. So that, but I think you are. You're saying you want to be, and I think that you are that right now. I mean, you may want to continue and do it in different ways, but I definitely think that you. Uh, you know, when we I know in different capacities where I've worked, and it's like who. It's somebody who's cool, who like people love, but also has the knowledge base and can talk about policy. And I mean, I think you're perfectly in that position now to to do those things. Yeah. Well, you're not trying, you're doing. You know, not trying, you're doing. I mean, you're, I I know you have more things that you want to accomplish, but I love the space um, that you, you sit in now.
0: But even in that question, how do we align even better? my work and your work to ignite and excite people about voting. Like what are ways we can sit here and brainstorm this right now? Like, yeah. what do we feel like our ways? And, and as I say that, I mean, even exciting myself, yeah, because I've been on a journey, you know, Angela bringing me into that group, I, you know, she unwittingly sparked this journey um, for me of really getting myself out of my, a, a politicization because mm-hmm. I had definitely become apolitical. Like, I mean, I'm commonsensical, so I can be like, he trash, <laughs> he trash, he corny. I don't know what she about, but like I had become, I had, I had become, um, disenchanted, mm-hmm. you know, I get that. and, and being with y'all and hearing y'all talk and just the information that you speak, you and, and I also love hearing things that I don't know, right? I love yeah. hearing from people who are experts and shit I don't know. Um, so being able to just be a fly on the wall in our group chat a lot of times is, is really been helpful to me. But I know there's so much more work to do. And I know there's folks who are not a fly on the wall in our group chat. So it's like, how do we get to them?
1: Yeah. So one, let me say, I think, um, you know, and I've, I've told you this privately before, but there are people who know every single thing that's happening on Capitol Hill. They can name every member, they can name every Senator, they can name the latest bills and they are no more smarter or better educated on politics than you, because you have common sense and you can hear something. You don't have to have a law degree and have read 8,000 pages of a bill to say, well, that shit ain't going to work for black folks. That's a problem here. are The three things y'all ain't never thought about. So I think giving people a sense of their own agency and how they can influence um, elections is always first and foremost for me. People feeling like I matter and I can influence policy, even though I don't, you know, I'm not a policy expert, you know, like I'm more in the media space, but I mean, you get so used to reading things and picking up on it and it's like, yeah, I can pick out the meat of a bill and in, in two seconds and say what works and what doesn't. I think other people can do that as well. So I would say you have a platform that can inform people, and your participation in the op-ed. There were people who read that just because your name was on it, just because the shade room talked about you being a part of it, or just because it was you know elevated in the space where, mm -hmm, yeah, girl, Angela, it was in the group chat. See, too many messages we going through and we missed (laughs) stuff. I told Shade Room to stop posting me. (laughs) Oh really? Well, Angela and Brittany interviewed with them, but. Look, you know, you walk away from a group chat for 20 minutes. You go back and like, you don't miss messages. an entire New Testament. And you like, all right, let me met- see sit- Did somebody die? We got 500 messages. What happened? Let me scroll back. I mean, it's ridiculous. But yes, they they did an interview with them. gossip picked up. Like, there were a lot of people who picked up. So that participation, I think, is amazing. I think on your Insta stories that I watch all the time, like, there are things on there that, that are just funny sometimes. But also things that I think are educational when you respond to people who are saying ridiculous things. It's very conscious. Um, But I also think and this is where it gets uh, where we have to have some responsibility. We have to be informed. And I know during the Obama administration, I had people in my family, friends, everybody who um, they would say shit like, You know, I voted for Obama, and you know them potholes that was outside? That shit finally got fixed, man. Obama, like, he the man. And I'm like, Obama don't know a damn thing about them potholes outside. That's your local government, you know? That's your city council. Like, those are the people. So I think there are people in our community, because we've been so routinely disenfranchised and kicked out of this process, that we don't even know the difference between our state, local, and federal government, and who's responsible for what. So I think we have to get out of the habit of-
0: video we're doing with cousin sassy i
1: love it i'm so down for that yeah i'm so down for that so people have to see that connection. That every four years is great if you participate, but we need you to participate in the Board of Education elections. We need you to participate in your city council elections. Show up to city hall, and that's hard for people who are like, "I'm trying to pay this mortgage, get these kids, but you know, fed and put the school. Call. I'm trying to relearn algebra for the first fucking time. Now you're telling me I got to add this. And the sad part is, yeah, you do because we have a responsibility to participate in this democracy, and they depend on us not to. And so when you don't do those things, then it becomes all white school board. And guess what? Eventually that shit catches up to you. It all feeds into the federal space and the federal space speeds down. That keeps us disenfranchised. So unfortunately we do also sometimes turn off the TV, get off your device and read an actual paper, (laughs) like cover to cover, not all the time, but like maybe once a week, just know what's happening. It do not have to be like the post that might be boring. Read Michael Harriet at the root, cause that brother be dropping some serious ass knowledge, talking just like you and I talking. He actually writes out the word nigga in this article. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, that root. I was at the root, girl, at the root, the Grio, um Jason Johnson's doing work over there. There are people who have voices like ours. And we want to empower black press outlets too, who are speaking to us, um, for us and about us. And uh, just at least be informed. I was at a, um, you'll appreciate this. I was at an industry dinner in LA. A friend of mine was hosting a dinner and I went and there was a girl there, lived in the state of California, an actress. I mean, I had never heard of her. Um, so I don't think she's like a famous actress, but she was trying to be an actress. And this was in July. And this girl had never in her life heard the name Kamala Harris in July. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, "She's running for president." She's like, "It's a black woman running for president." Mm-hmm. She's also your senator, so I can't. You and don't she's also wanna... like
0: only the second
1: black senator that California. Yeah. The first black senator, the second, um, her woman cor- it was Carol Mosley. Yeah, the second black woman, Carol Mosley Brown, right. was the first senator, and then Kamala Harris. So I in that moment, if I shame her, if I make her feel this yeah. big for not knowing that she divorces yeah. herself from the process, if I tell her in a way that inspires her, like, damn, I need to know about her, you know, mm-hmm. and that's hard to do. Because my immediate instinct is like, what the fuck am I doing? I
0: You know, I, I struggle.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for me. Look, let's, let's, this is why Latasha Brown does what she does, and I do what I do. Because sometimes I'm like, "Damn, girl, I just—you know—you just, almost had to go out your way not to know that information." But
0: we speaking gonna, of which, let's I let's want go. to have a conversation with Kamala Harris. I would love at some point to just have an off-the-record conversation.
1: Because I had an
0: off-the-record conversation with Cory Booker, and that's when I was like, "Oh, you corny." <laughs> <I'm>
1: like, <laughs> and Corey I want to know that. Yeah. So I will say this about Senator Harris. Um, I think Kamala Harris is, when you meet her one-on-one and just have those off-the-record conversations, She is lovely. Like, she is so... It's like, yeah, that's my girl. Like, I get you. Like, you can come be in this group chat and fit right in, and you're cool. I think sometimes that gets lost on the national stage. I think a lot of people felt like she was inauthentic and just couldn't really relate to her. But this is something, too, about the Black community, which is a point about marrying these worlds and making people feel like they're um, part of it um, and and excited about voting. Kamala Harris, uh, I have a whole chapter on her in in my book. I hope she doesn't hit me after. Yeah. Well, I thought her candidacy highlighted some of the fractions in the black, um, or fractures rather in the black community. So Kamala Harris is an an authentically black woman, you know, and you can appreciate this about people questioning her heritage. And because, you know, she's fair skin, she's race. (laughs) And that's another thing. She was a single woman for a long time. Like a lot of people get married at 23 and they're in politics. And it's like, well, as a single mom in my forties and single a long time, if I ever ran for office. Y'all have a fun time digging through my dating past. I make no apologies for that shit. It was a good ass time. I'm still here standing, digging, kind of and, and I think rappers. that's kind of how <laughs> the rappers. That'd be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I was thinking about Kamala Harris. She went to Howard. She's an AKA. Um, she, you know, me having her ass on, you know, out on these vacations and kicking it, and you know, she had a black experience. Let me say this. You can't take that shit and go into the south side of Chicago or southwest Atlanta or south, south Miami and talk to us about your private college experience and your black sorority because that's not resonating with us. So how are you appealing to the people who, you know, Luke is appealing to? And Luke, I'm not trying to excuse Luke or be an apologist for Luke, but Luke penned this scathing op-ed about Kamala Harris. Um, He ended up endorsing her later, but Luke is talking to Tens and of by thousands Luke we're of referring
0: people. To, Let me see you shake them things. Yeah, yeah. That's Luke Little
1: Brown, yes, okay. that Luke who, for some reason, named himself like you know the arbiter of, of what's acceptable morally, and was like, "Come on here, it's fear, I don't like it." And I'm like, I interviewed about it. I'm like, let's let's pause and talk about that, brother. <laughs> like, let's revisit some of these wow. videos right here. You yeah,
0: know?
1: So, you know, we all grow, but I couldn't dismiss Luke <laughs> either. Cause I'm like, you know what? You are a, you can, he speaks to a lot of working class black people in Florida yeah. and he's like, I don't like how she talks to us. And I don't like how she's speaking to black people. And I don't like what she represents. If you, if we want to keep dismissing these black men for saying that and not engaging and saying, well, let's first deal with your shit. And then let's talk about, you know, how we can collectively come they together come at me like
0: that. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to fix that.
1: But you, so not everybody can can do this. And I do think that I um, I'm not always I don't immediately fight. So when black men say things to me that are problematic, I completely get the instinct to fight. And some people have it and I get it and I get thrilled to see it because I'm like, you're saying what I want to say. But I do try to stop myself and say, let me just point out to you why that is problematic and why that's offensive in a way that does not. Shut down the conversation. Now I do have the capacity to shut down. Like when we get to the point where it's like you're just happy in your place of ignorance, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. leave you there. Like it's at this point, it's beneath my dignity to continue this conversation. You know, yeah. enough said. But on the first pass, like Luke was very when we spoke, he was very receptive. Um, because okay. he was mad because Kamala Harris was married to a white man, and I'm like, oh brother, let's talk about all these black men walking around with white women. Are you mad at them? Do you fuck with them? Or are you mad at them? So I think he was open to the conversation his whole family has supported Kamala Harris his wife his mom like every every woman in his life was mad at him and so when we have those conversations and not everybody can like I'm not the person to try to have a delicate or um informative conversation with a Trump supporter like I'm just not I'm not somebody else might be skilled at that but I'm pretty much like you can get the fuck on we don't ever have to talk you know like go back in your COVID crowd drink your hydrochloroquine do whatever the fuck
0: we had a brother here to do some work and he revealed that he was a Trump
1: voter. And I was like, get to stepping, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. A brother, like as in black person. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's real sad. That's real sad. Yeah. I don't, don't, those are people white, black, whatever. Like, I don't really have a lot of conversations for you, but black men say shit. And I'm like, you know, not Trump supporters, but when they say shit and I'm like, let me just walk you through this. Cause I do. I don't know if you feel this way, but it, and I thought the Kamala c- campaign highlighted this. It seems like it's this unspoken war with us and Black men sometimes. I'm like, damn, I ride so unspoken. hard for y'all. Well, it's not, we haven't acknowledged it's that it's a battle. It's loud with us, but we haven't exactly feel like said. You we acknowledge that? We, I definitely, maybe we. You do, you do. But as a community, have we really figured out why? Why? What is this, like, how do we get past, I felt like Kamala happened and the Snoop Dogg comments about Gail happened. And it's like, how do we get to this place where we're a community again?
0: I think welfare reform created a chasm um, because in the seventies, there was this basically a law that said, if you had a man in the house, you couldn't get assistance. Yeah, And so I think just the, the, the hoops that had to get jumped through um, and the ways in which we had to relate as families in order to get help, I think that there were a lot of really deleterious um, after effects with that. Mm -hmm. And then, and so then you have like the eighties and gangster rap and, you know, you just see how hyper-masculinity became toxic masculinity within the black community on a whole other scale. And that fissure got even wider, right? Because I think for what it's worth, I'm not saying this is for everybody, but I think within the global representation of blackness, it became bitches ain't shit. And that was really like being echoed like around the world. And then other people started taking up that same ethos. So I think within those two things, you know, those are those to me are symptoms also of just we can go all the way back to slavery and just the reality that men had to see their women raped, killed beaten and we're not able to protect them. And yeah. so, you know, our trauma lives in our DNA. It ends up manifesting through a number of ways. The reverse of that is that women had to see their men treated the same way, you know, then, then there were chain gangs. I mean, there's just so yeah. much trauma that we end up fighting each other because of what we can't fight on the outside.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that there's a lot of men that feel like Black women abandoned them.
1: Yes. Yes. They do. I think they there's say that a lot the of men
0: that feel like black women abandoned them in our independence, in our in our search for self for self care, in our getting educations, you know, yeah. that somehow that became seen as like, you don't support my journey. You don't support my struggle. And it's unfortunate because that's patriarchy. Um, but it's. It's, there's, there is absolutely, you are correct, there's absolutely this feeling that Black women, by literally even challenging Black men to want to love themselves and do, and love us, that we are somehow beating them down. Yeah. And, and my struggle has been, how do we, what language is there that doesn't make them feel that way? Because that really is the root. Yeah. what it so so? How do we you know? And I had a brother tell me like the reason why black men don't want to be with black women is because when we come home to you, we're seeing our struggle. What's you that are mean? a representation. You are a mirror of our struggle. So when we come home to you, it's like we're looking at the struggle that we left outside, and we want to come home to a break. And I was just like, ah! because white, even though a white woman, even though is a that break? is
1: for a non-black woman, is a break.
0: That's And even though that we're seeing that, look at your face. You, you're you're like, that's so bogus, but that was his truth. But that was his truth. And that's not a lot that he's not alone in that. And this is a, that was a black man. Uh, His name is Tajay from the Souls of Mischief. That is a black man who is from the Bay. His mother is a very well-known. like, she came up with the term microaggressions.
1: Wow.
0: Wow. But that was his truth. And I could, I mean, I've shaved him in many other ways, but I can't shave him for that being his truth because I don't know what it is to be a black man. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't but know we, what it is to carry that target.
1: In this conversation, I think our struggle gets lost and it's like, I'm, I, I can only control me. So I wonder like, how do we move on? I spoke out because when there has to be
0: like a, sorry, I'm just.
1: No, that's okay. Think, Go for
0: it. This has been on my head so crazy lately because basically my therapist put put me onto narcissistic trauma and the fact mm-hmm. that people experience narcissistic trauma that causes them to create narcissistic narcissistic practices of protection that push other people's feelings out. And so many Black men in this country have, have been the subject of narcissistic trauma at the hands of either their mother yeah. or some other woman in their young adult life or, or another man, but they have been the subject of that. And when you hear Lil Boosie talk about having his children raped, those children have now suffered narcissistic trauma. They will never look at women the same. They will never look at black women the same.
1: I have a foolish question. Um, who is Lil Boosie? (laughs) Because everybody keeps talking about this clown and I'm like, That's it? Okay, all right. Because I'm like, I don't even know who this
0: person is. Me down, Lil, okay, so this actually speaks to what you were talking about, about Kamala Harris. So Lil Boosie is in Baton Rouge. He's a rapper. Like, he's done time. Like, he has a whole constituency of people who support him that wow. we would look at as like, what are y'all talking about?
1: Yeah. yeah. But they
0: support him now, so they're valuable. And they're black.
1: That's so, so unfortunate.
0: It's so unfortunate. So when we see that, um, when we see that that has taken place and there's all these people who support that, that means there's all these people who have suffered that same trauma who think that that's okay. And those people are looking at women a certain way. And so they're also looking at themselves a certain way. So right. their whole shit is skewed and distorted. So yeah. if we take that all the way up the ladder, why would they give a fuck? Right. About voting.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in Louisiana, it was black voters who elected the governor. They elected a democratic governor because black voters didn't participate the first time. And so they went out and started engaging them and then they participated. And I I just think as black women, but particularly black girls have so much power. I mean, if black girls saw themselves as valuable and if they said, I'm only dating boys who make straight A's, these little boys would start making straight A's yep. if they said, "I'm only dating boys who are respectful and you know are well put together." That These little boys in the put hand. in pants. Yeah, we that don't see ourselves hand. as valuable, and I—I I don't mean to, to preach, but because I have been that person, preach. And it's like, well, I don't mean you to better preach. I don't mean to be an oracle because I, I might struggle be for an a long time. <laughs>
0: we need an oracle, Adelphi. Yes, we do. You better be an oracle. You well, better be I a just, vessel.
1: I want to acknowledge the woman I used to be and how I weep for that person because I'm just not mm. that person anymore. <laughs> and I what I realized my whole life up until like probably my late 30s, I surrounded myself with men who affirmed what I believe to be true about myself. And the second I believe something different to be true about myself, then I'm my dating pool changed. Mm. And so if I believe like I'm cute on some days, other days, maybe not so much, or I'm a little, you know, I wish I was thinner or, you know, my hair looks so good. It's like, I attract people who might share that. But when I walk out this bitch every day, like I'm the baddest chick walking around this bitch and you'd be lucky to have me on your arm People react to that. And it's like, that's what I believe to be true about myself today. I didn't believe that to be true about myself when I was 25. And so I just wish, like, how could I preach the gospel to these, like, 14-year-olds out here walking around like strippers? Like, girl, you don't even know. A little boy will follow your ass wherever you go. It's sad. It's so,
0: it's very... (laughs) My person that I want to be with but can't be with is always telling me... (laughs) You're the wait. big SEALs. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> You're the big SEALs. Like, why? Like, you are the big SEALs. Like, why yeah. do you let any of us disrupt you? Why yeah. do you let any of us shake you? you the big SEALs. And I'm always like, I'm the big SEALs. I'm the big SEALs. I don't need them. They
1: need me. I'm the big SEALs. But when, when does it get to the point where you, believe, you don't need somebody to tell you that? Like, you believe it it's to a be practice. true. It's yeah. a practice. And that's what
0: we're talking about as it relates to voting. That's what it talks about as it relates to Black love. All of this is a practice and we don't get the chance to practice. Mark Lamont Hill was on here talking about how education, when it's done with rigor, is very different than education that is done just as something that you're doing to get through one place to another. Yeah. And we don't apply the same rigor to these things that are incredibly valuable to us we apply a lot of rigor to getting money but we yep. don't apply a lot of rigor to getting healed
1: yes and let me let me say let me make this connection with voting i honestly um because every my all my 20s and 30s i was looking you know dating was such a big part of my life i had to find something that i cared about exponentially more than men yeah, And for me, that thing was the greater good of my people, even the people who attack us, the people who aren't supportive of us, the black men who might be misogynistic or dismissive of us, black women who you know, don't value sisterhood in the same way. I had to decide to care about them and all yeah. of that more than I cared about going out here and sitting across from somebody who didn't value me or could potentially be harmful to me. And it's like, if I put my effort into building my community and giving love to the people in my community then surely at some point, love will find me in some capacity, maybe not a marriage, but love will find me in satisfaction that I left this world a better place than I found it. And so since in dating and men, all that is just taking the back seat because I'm so committed to, I can't imagine what, I can't imagine that I would be out here looking for a husband in 1961 when my people were getting clubbed over the head and couldn't sit anywhere on the bus. I can't imagine I'd be looking for a husband Mm. in 1930 when my people were, disproportionately impacted by the great depression. So now mm-hmm. this time to me seems like we have a crazy ass white man who does not value our lives or our livelihoods. And he is backed by over 60 million people in this country. I can right now dating is not the top of mind it's saving my people. is <laughs> the top of mind. And so oh. when you find something that oh. you value more than is he the one, is he the one he loves me, he loves me not that shit just seems so foolish to me. I'm like, this dude is literally trying to kill us. He's trying to Jim Jones the entire yes. country, telling people to yes, drink fucking Clorox. I ain't got time to be out here on no goddamn Bumble. You know? <laughs> I am not time to be going up texting with you talk about how was your day. Like, I'm out here trying to move masses, you know? So I just hope Do that you think there's a balance? Do you that. think that there's-
0: Do you think there's- Do you think that that brings- I think some people might say, like, well- but it helps keep me in a good place, so that I can fight the fight. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 these dalliances um, allow me to to have pockets of joy, so that I can you know dip into them as I continue on this seemingly endless path towards liberation. Um, you know, and I and I, so I think there's a happy medium between all of this, because at the end of the day, it's like. All of us need each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because what you're saying is right for you. And, yeah. and I think it's so dope that you've been able to identify that because so much, because there's so much of the world that would say that's not, no, 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 Yeah. You know? And it's like, we all have to identify like what's right for us. And, and, and hearing you say just, even just, even just contextualizing, like, if it was nineteen sixty one, I can't see myself like at church like, well, you know, little Jimmy, <laughs> yeah.
1: Jimmy yeah, Jimmy is,
0: is he bad? <laughs> but I think there, but I think, Tiff, there's also something to be said for the fact that we should be allowed to do that. Yeah, I think so. I, we I should think- we should be allowed to have a space for love, and it's so fucking frustrating that we don't feel like we get that space because we have to put all of our energy to saving our people. And these other motherfuckers get to build legacies and generational wealth through all these generations of marriage because they're not fighting for the same thing we're fighting for. So I think that's, to me, like that's where the intersection of where Black love has to come in. It has to be a part of our revolution. And if we don't see it that way, then it does end up becoming a distraction. And that's why- It's so important that we have to be healing and we have to be considering each other and our brothers have to be looking at us as like, no, I don't need to... You're not my struggle. You're my savior. You're yeah. my, not even my savior. I don't even like that. You're not my, my partner. My You're partner my partner in the struggle.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know? I, I, I hear you. I, I, I just... I think if you find that love, then yes, because that love just... Your heart expands and it gives you the energy to do even more. I think when... You know, and, and the same for me. Like, I don't want mean to say, like, I'm not open to it. But I think yeah. when that love becomes... When I'm, I wake up angry, I'm angry all day, or I'm sad all day. Like, no, I despair. I share your tears. Yes. When um the case of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, like, when I see black bodies dead in the street, it's just my natural instinct. I'm destroyed. But I don't even have to see that shit. I can just watch the morning news and read yes. three papers. And I'm like, what the entire fuck? Like, I just feel... Depleted before I even get out of bed. It's like some days you wake up on top of the world Other days you wake up the world is on top of you and you feel like how can Ooh. I address these things? When men become a part of when you are not bringing me joy, but you're contributing to the agony I feel i'm like i'd rather focus my energy on this struggle here Because I yeah. can you are either bringing joy to me or taking joy away And the second I feel like you're taking joy away from me It's an easy decision to say, you know what peace on to you and I need to focus here. And I don't get yes, love yeah. back, um, you know, from either. Like, some, like I said, we love in the community. We out here writing peace. Like, yeah, we need this black people. We don't get that love back from everybody. But I had the strength to fight another day. Sometimes having one individual who I've given myself to in whatever way, mentally, spiritually, or physically, not honor who I am. Oh, that shit is too much. It's too much. It'll take you out the game. It does. Take you right It has wiped my ass out. Yeah. And, and you're like, like, you know you what? Know? Send me out, what coach. Why can't you do
0: this? Yeah. send me out.
1: Yeah. I'm, my I'm ass going to the locker bench. room. <laughs> going I'm not even on the bed.
0: <laughs> I'm going to the locker room. Put I'll Put the back.
1: cameras on. I'm doing that, that walk to the locker room <laughs> right. and crying. You put the towel like, over on the head. <laughs> exactly. I'm out the game. I'm done. I'm out the game. So right now I feel like I'm in the locker room, but I'm just fighting a different fight. You know, as somebody who come and find my ass in the locker room, that's what's meant to happen. But right now my focus is on this struggle and love for the greater good. And I just think if people are out there putting their energy into finding a partner and a spouse, it's like, put that, he'll find you. Put that on pause and get out here and to get these people in the, the the voting booth, you know, or just go canvas on somebody's school board campaign or go, you know, that might be when you meet your husband. You know, you out here door <laughs> knocking for a candidate you believe in. Find something that you care about. Because if all you care about is if this nigga gonna call you back or not, <laughs> then that's a miserable existence, you know? Put all that <laughs> shit loose. Find something you care about, you know? That's how I feel.
0: The last dose. Well, thank you, Miss Tiffany De for joining us. We appreciate you so much, and we are so looking forward to your book. and please show us the cover again so people yes. can get it ingrained in their mentals Stay and so they louder. can understand the importance of pre-sale. So please. we said this in the beginning, please. Go online, order, say it louder. Try your best to order it from any other retailer than Amazon so that you can get Miss Tiffany DeCross her check. And so Please. she can get some more points towards being on the bestseller list. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And I'm so glad that I can be a part of helping to spread the word on what you're doing. And thank you. Um, and be, and, and be in, in the fight with you. I'm, I'm honored to be in the fight with you.
1: I'm honored to be in the fight with you. And thank you for sharing this platform with me. I feel like this is just like us talking on the phone. <laughs> and everybody's exactly. just dropping on our conversation. I love it. That's <laughs> the idea.
0: At a certain point, I'm going to start just having us pretend we actually on the phone. Exactly. Like, exactly. You know, like just make them hide the mic and just make it exactly. be like, yeah, you know girl. So. It's what I thought was, we're going to hold a banana instead of a phone. Yeah, you know, And that's as how soon as this
1: COVID it. is over, we are doing our little black girl group chat retreat somewhere. To an somewhere. undisclosed location.
0: Yes. <laughs> Where I much libation will be do consumed.
1: It. I'm so down. I'm so down. We got to do it like right before everybody starts getting on flights again. So we can be like... Yeah, nice and private. Bingo. Yeah. Bye.
0: (laughs) So, thank you again. Can't wait to read the book. Congrats on everything, and let's keep up the
1: good work. Thank you so much. A podcast network.